0: Buddha was asked, what have you gained from meditation? He replied, nothing. However, let me tell you what I lost. Anger, anxiety, depression, insecurity, and fear of death. Hello ladies and gentlemen, this is Nishan, and welcome to another episode of the Nishangar show. My job on this show is to extract information on mindfulness, personal development, spirituality and basically everything which improves the quality of life. I am on a mission to spread mindfulness. I cannot do this alone and I need your support. My today's guest is Jennifer. She graduated from UCLA with a Master of Public Health in Community Health Sciences with a specialization in Health Educator and holds a BA in Psychology and minor in Sociology from UC Davis. Early on, Jennifer became interested in public health through her first-hand experience as a child of immigrant refugees who had barriers navigating the healthcare systems in the US. She is passionate about health and wellness, creating leaders, mindfulness, transformation and inspiring, authentic. Currently, she is a health educator and enjoys teaching about health and nutrition to school-age children. Jennifer has been on her mindfulness journey personally for 10 years. As a child, she was sensitive, intuitive, creative, and empathetic. She had always had a keen interest in seeking deeper inner truth. However, she did not have resources nor an outlet to support the desire. Hence, when the practice of mindfulness was introduced to her a decade ago, as an adult in her first therapy session, it opened a whole new world of possibilities and clarity Since then, she has immersed herself into any work and books about mindful living. Her vision for the world is creating a safe environment where everyone can be authentic to reach their highest potential. In this podcast, Jennifer is going to share information on how to set morning routines through meditation, journaling, visualization, reading, exercising, to really elevate our happiness to the next level. So let's Begin this episode. Jennifer, welcome to the show.
1: Hi, Nishant. Uh,
0: I'm so thankful to you for accepting my opportunity and being on this show. It is I'm so honored to have you on the show.
1: Of course. Thank you for inviting me. I can't wait.
0: Yeah. And I remember we, we met in a transformation workshop and you were coaching me for a few months. And I had gotten so many breakthroughs at that point that I cannot imagine. And based on those breakthroughs, I'm able to start this podcast. So thank you again for giving me that amazing coaching that I can create something bigger for myself and something bigger for the whole community in this mindfulness space
1: Mm. well you're welcome and you know i acknowledge you for putting in the work you know all i did was ask questions and you put in the work so that's part of the journey is continuously uh, putting your best foot forward and continuously learning and and getting guidance from people
0: yep and i was doing some research on your profile and so there are a lot of pieces that i would love to connect so that we can create something from this episode and people who listen to this they can go in the in the world and apply real mindfulness practices and any routines and habits in their own personal life yeah so yeah so you were an immigrant in the United States? No, no right? actually, my
1: parents were uh, immigrant okay. refugees, but uh, I'm I'm the first generation that was born
0: here. Yeah. Okay. Can you please elaborate more on your on on your parents' immigrant refugee part? Yeah. How how did it happen?
1: Yeah, of course. Uh, thank you for asking. Um. So, yeah. So my parents, uh, they arrived in the U.S. about forty years ago as uh, immigrant refugees. Um, they were seeking asylum because they supported the American CIA in the secret war in Laos. Um, So they were getting persecuted by the communist forces in Laos that, that took over the country. And so, um, you know, they were displaced and so as many of their family and friends too. And um, they lost a lot of their uh, family lives, family and uh, um, relatives to the war. Uh, I read an article that about one, one, American soldier that was saved 25 Hmong lives, lives were lost. And so mm-hmm. we definitely sacrificed a majority of our community to this war. Um, and so after losing part of their identity, my parents came to the U.S. and, um, you know, definitely just experienced a lot of like hardships because there was no Hmong community that was established in the U.S. Like the Hmong language was as a new language. Uh, to the U.S. as English was a new language to the Hmong community. And so, um, yeah. my parents, um, definitely, um, came here, uh, without knowing any English too, and, um, experienced a lot of, uh, hardships because of that. Uh,
0: do they speak English now?
1: No, my parents don't speak English at all. Uh, they, okay. they're, they're, they're limited. My, my mom can say a few words and my dad, he could read and say a few words too, but they don't really use the language.
0: Okay. Because the reason I'm asking this question is I am, I'm an immigrant in the United States. I came to us in 2014. So I can understand the pain and the process of understanding new culture mm, yeah. and totally understanding. It's a to- I came from India and it's totally a different culture, different game, you know, so it takes <laughs> a lot of time. Yeah. So how, how old were you at the time when your parents moved here?
1: Um, actually I was born here. So my parents, okay. yeah. So I was born here. My parents, uh, Let's see. My sister was born in 1982, so that was the the year that they uh, came here. And then my um, my uh, then I was born. So my my parents actually had uh, nine children. So I was born like five years afterwards. So they mm-hmm. weren't they weren't here long before I was born.
0: Okay, so. As part of immigrant family, did you have to go through tough times in your childhood?
1: Oh, yeah. I mean, you know, uh, I grew up very traditional. And so, uh, you know, my whole life goal, so I thought, was to become a daughter-in-law and, you know, be Mm well-versed in appeasing elders, maintaining good manners, you know, doing the household chores and cooking and having children. That was my my life goal. Uh, And... um, You know, it's hard because as a Hmong daughter, oftentimes, uh, especially maybe it doesn't apply to me too, but a lot of people have felt, you know, this this biculturism in us, you know, like I I identify as Hmong American. So I have this Hmong side that's saying, oh, be a daughter-in-law and I have this American side where, oh, I can be independent, you know, and I can have a future in a life and I don't need to rely on a husband to make it in life. You know, so definitely very difficult to kind of balance those two cultures in me that I was um, born into. Um, my parents, uh, definitely, uh, woke us up early every morning to learn how to cook and clean. We had to go farming. Um, my parents were farmers Mm -hmm. at that time too. So, Mm -hmm. you know, it, it was a lot of work, um, a lot of labor work and a lot of people, never uh, they laugh at me sometimes when I say that I had to wake up <laughs> and cook and clean and like do farming stuff They're like really I was like yeah I was like you guys didn't have the experience I was like oh man totally different but that's part of what makes you know growing up being mom unique uh, for me and I get to share that yeah. with people
0: yeah, so that Hmong, right? Hmong, uh, do you say Hmong the, the or H Hmong? Is,
1: The H is silence, so Hmong. It's,
0: okay, so the Hmong, Hmong, Hmong community. Can you please elaborate more on that community if people are not aware yeah, of that so, Hmong community?
1: Yeah, so the Hmong, uh, we don't have our own country. So a lot of people always ask, uh, where are you from? Where, where, What country? And I can't say per se where, but I know that my parents were born in Laos. Uh, as for um, gen- mm-hmm. uh, generations before, uh, there has been a lot of oral stories uh, saying that we came from Mongolia or uh, or China, derived from there. And then through a series of wars um, that we lost, we finally uh, migrated to Laos. Um, and you find a lot of the Hmong uh, still in the mountainous regions, uh, wherever <laughs> you go. So. We're in the southern part of China, mountainous regions of Laos and Thailand and Vietnam. So that's where you would find uh, the, the community. But every single community we have we have a different accent. So every country mm-hmm. that we've gone to, we've had like a Hmong Lao accent, a Hmong Chinese accent or a Hmong Thai accent. So the language, huh. the foundation of the language is similar. However, with the accents, sometimes it's really tough to understand them too. So there's no core language that exists. It's, it's, it's basically, it's changed so much that we don't even know what the core yeah. language is.
0: So which accent do you prefer or which accent yeah. are you comfortable so,
1: with? So um, because my parents were born in Laos, I have the, the Hmong Lao accent.
0: Hmm. So when 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 growing up, in the United States and your parents did not understand English. So how do you deal with that situation? Because you, you had to speak English in the schools and with your friends mm-hmm. and your parents did not understand. So how did you deal with that education system in your childhood days? Yeah.
1: So with my parents, uh, they definitely encouraged us to speak Hmong uh, at the, at the home. And then when we do go out, we spoke English. Uh, it was, uh, my parents were okay with us speaking English too. Mm-hmm. They weren't opposed to it. Uh, however, they wanted us to speak English, so then that way we can communicate to our future in-laws or you know relatives. Uh, and um, that was the main reason why my mom to this day doesn't speak English. She just strictly is, is speaks Hmong only.
0: Hmm. So in in those childhood days, uh, were you given some belief systems that? Yeah. You have to be a daughter-in-law or you have to be in a certain way because asian culture and indian culture are kind of similar mm-hmm. i think because as far as, I, I grew up in indian yeah. because we were told to do certain yeah. things by 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 the age of 30 you have to get married yeah. you have to have kids i'm 32 right now and i'm not married i don't have kids yeah. i'm single so i'm doing things which is against indian culture ideally in my whole family mm-hmm. So, and this was tough for me to adopt this lifestyle. I had to unlearn mm-hmm. all those belief system and I'm still working on that. So how that belief system, Asian Hmong community belief system.
1: Yeah.
0: <laughs> Installed in you and how did you navigate through that process through your childhood days? Yeah. If you would like to elaborate more on yes, that. Yes.
1: Thank you for asking. Uh, Yeah. So definitely my parents uh, expected me to, my parents were, were progressive to an extent where you know, the daughters learned all these household, uh, household uh, chores. Mm-hmm. And um, and then also my parents allowed us to go to college, you know, join sports, and did a lot of things that a lot of parents normally wouldn't. And I think a lot of it came from my parents' past too. My dad was an orphan lost his parents at a young age. And so he grew up really poor and always valuing education. So that's why he pushed us to college. And then my mother also grew up in a very abusive household. So for her, the only way she saw uh, any, uh, pro, any, any way that we can have a, a future was also education. So in a sense, they wanted us to be uh, culturally attuned, but also at the same time, uh pursue our our dreams and and also school too so uh for me uh definitely a lot of the the weight or the burden was um always trying to maintain mm-hmm. um that culture and and in like showing up early to help and to um, you know, getting married at a certain age, you know, like I thought my sister, my oldest sister got married when she was 23. And I thought, wow, that was the wow. age I was going to get married, you know, I thought I was like really old. <laughs> <laughs> and then here I am 33 and I'm still not married. And yeah, of course, you know, if my parents are still um, very traditional. They it would be highly looked upon or frowned, frowned upon. But I think because my parents also have this like progressive side, they think like, okay, you know what? as long as she's independent she's got her degrees and like she's you know she seems pretty set uh we don't have to bother her about it you know uh, if i was single i think they probably might worry a little bit but i think because i did find joke to uh, my life partner mm-hmm. uh, that my parents are a little bit okay but definitely it was hard to, <laughs> <laughs> yeah and so uh-huh.
0: i would like to ask you here so love uh, uh, love marriages is it common in your Hmong community that you find your partner on your own and then you go with that partner to your parents, hey, mom and dad, I want to marry this oh, person. Is it common? Yeah,
1: so, um, you know, that is common. But we also uh, traditionally, if a man did like a woman, uh, he could also uh, kidnap her too and bring her to his house and marry her okay. that same week. So we do have that practice, but it's so old that nowadays it's not as practiced as much because, you know, times have changed and people are, yeah, people are respecting, you know, the new cultural norms of, hey, allow people to find the love of their life and let them marry. So we don't have as many arranged marriages or like kidnapping happening anymore. Mm -hmm. Now everyone's kind of open to finding their own relationships.
0: I think this concept of arranged marriage came from India, I guess.
1: Yeah, it's all throughout, (laughs) you know, Asia, right? Like arranged marriages is is in abundance.
0: Yeah, if you cannot find a girl (laughs) or a boy, your parents will help you out. Yeah,
1: exactly. But yeah, just I'm really, I'm really fortunate that I was able to uh, be given that freedom. My, My parents never really gave us any restrictions. Uh, They did, they did really want us to find someone who was Hmong too. I just happened to be lucky that Joe is Hmong too, which probably saved me a lot of headache. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) So, yeah, I want a lot of brownie points there because, um, some of my siblings aren't married to, uh, someone who is Hmong. So, you know, it's difficult for my parents to communicate. And um yeah. I remember my, my older sister, when she first brought in her first boyfriend, who was white, uh into our house, my parents got so freaked out. They, like, called the whole entire clan to come to our <laughs> house. And we had a huge meeting in their living room talking about, like, this interracial, like, uh, dating uh, between wow. my sister and this guy. And that was my first like, experience of, like, whoa, I didn't know it was such a big deal you know Um, but then now a lot of folks are being open-minded and they're seeing that you know we're acclimating and acculturating into American culture and that's just the norm you know Uh, we can't just date Hmong people anymore there's so many options now right so that's correct yeah
0: yeah and I can I can definitely relate to your experience when I was growing up my, my mom did not have any father figure and my dad did not have any father figure as well. So I was, I, they installed this belief in me that I have to get education. I have to be, I have to make a lot of money. I have to be, you know, be bigger in my life. I have to make a lot of money and do this and do that. And in fact, when I was in fourth grade, I knew what I wanted to do with my life. I knew at that point that I have to be an engineer, when I was in fourth grade, because when I was seeing in my family, everybody was either doctor or engineer. Mm-hmm. So, because if, if I'm not engineer or doctor in India, then I'm not good enough. My success is defined by my designation, my post. Yeah. And it is still the same in some parts of the country, you know, and it, it takes time to find our purpose and we will connect to that purpose in a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, and I remember you mentioned that some, so I think when we, when you were coaching last time that you were, you were empathetic as a child, you know, you were, was it, uh, did it come to you naturally? Yeah. Or did you inherit that from your parents? Yeah. Because this is skill is not natural to me. Yeah. <laughs> I have never been an empathetic and I practice now after learning, after learning a lot of stuff from Brené Brown. Yeah. I practice being empathetic because it can change the world,
1: oh yeah, that's i i yeah definitely got it from my parents, um both my parents i, I you know sometimes it could be to a fault too that uh they are s- such good people, and they are such people pleasers in a way you know that makes them <laughs> good people and yeah. I remember growing up, I was so frustrated with that because I'm like, why would you bend over backwards for this person that barely does anything for you? And it's the fact that they keep this thing in mind of like, when you give and you give, you know, karma will always um, be on your side. And mm-hmm. back then, I didn't understand that because I just felt such injustice for my parents um, and then I thought, oh, I'm never gonna be like them. And then as I grew up, I'm like, oh shit! Like, <laughs> sorry, excuse me. That,
0: mm-hmm. no problem.
1: Good. I'm, I'm like exactly like them, you know. And that's something that I'm working on personally to myself. Is how do I, how do I uh, still, um, how do I still receive the the acknowledgement and, and love from people without. Uh, having hmm. to lose my power or feeling like you know I overdid myself um, where I'm, I'm, where hmm. I feel like i''m, I'm, I'm not um, where I'm not losing myself, I guess in a sense um,
0: yeah, so what i'm if i if I understand correctly over here that you are you are saying that you can love people, but it is difficult for you to receive love from others oh yeah. is that what i'm hearing oh yeah, yeah. because i'm the same thing <laughs> i'm in the same boat and i really work at it to receive love from people
1: yeah yeah everybody you know yeah. that's that's just a natural instinct of us is to 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 uh desire love and to to feel like uh you belong and yeah i think because my parents didn't feel like they belonged um uh, because of their stories that they lived, that they, without probably knowing it consciously, they imposed that on their children too. And, you know, that's how I I got those tendencies um, to constantly worry about people, worry about how they're thinking, what are their thoughts? And I became so good at just analyzing people's like physical features. And I'm like, oh, wow, they must be feeling this way. So I get to change my uh my my responses to match theirs. So then that way, you know, it was like a calculation. Kind of a people pleasing. Yeah, yeah, it was like a calculation all the time, you know, because I wanted that validation so much. Um,
0: and I was exactly the same person <laughs> in my life for first 29 years. Yeah. I was people pleasing and I was becoming passive aggressive over the period of time. Yeah. You know, and if somebody said something to me, even though I did not want to fit in, yeah. I was trying to fit in yeah. into their life, into the community. And, but I wasn't enjoying that. Yeah. And as a result, I was becoming passive aggressive. Yeah. And one point came when I used to burst mm. into tears, into, mm. into, into anger, resentments. And I, I totally relate with that. Yeah. Scenario.
1: Yeah. Definitely. So I, yeah, I became really sensitive and attuned to like just people's thoughts, feelings, physical reactions. And I, I think that just made me. Uh, more empathic to in a way where I'm able to sense uh, things easier and mm-hmm. and have a lot of empathy too and compassion.
0: That's awesome. Empe- empathy and compassion—they are great. And uh, do you do you ever practice or do you practice self compassion? Because compassion toward others is one thing, and self compassion is another thing.
1: Yes, yeah that that, that was that's something that. You know, it's an ongoing journey for me and for many people. I, I practice it. However, you know, it's still, it's not where I want it to be yet. And I get to just embrace where I'm at right now with that. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think that, you know, the last three years, uh, I I finally got to do a lot a lot more deeper work. And that's allowed me to identify and put into words, um my thoughts and my feelings and sensations, and mm-hmm. allowing me to have compassion for myself, to speaking it into the universe. Because before I used to silently suffer, and now that I have words to describe the things that I'm experiencing, it just relieves so much uh, tension and burden in my heart and my soul. Yeah. And so, yeah, yeah, mm-hmm.
0: yeah. I would, I would be interested to know what happened three years ago.
1: Yeah, so. Three years ago, I three years ago I, I uh, got this job that I thought it was going to be like my it was my dream job actually. I was like, oh man, I get to be a project manager and I get to work in you know a high rise building and you know I'm going to be creating so many like new experiences and opportunity and you know that was my intention when mm-hmm. I came into this work and then I didn't realize how my upbringing had really uh, put an attack on my soul in some ways. Uh, for example, uh-huh. you know, not being assertive enough, uh, people pleasing um, and being decisive and in perfectionism and fear of being found out and being an imposter, you know, like all of uh-huh. that started uh, getting to me in this job because it was a very high stress job. And because of the stress, all of, Everything started compounding and also mm-hmm. magnifying too, right? So.
0: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Not to interrupt you yeah. here. What, 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 kind of job was that? Yeah.
1: It was a project manager position, uh, in the healthcare field. Okay. And so, uh, yeah, definitely because of the stress that I felt, um, definitely everything started magnifying. I think it didn't help too that. I allowed uh, my boss and like my coworkers to talk down to me too. And I mm-hmm. I didn't know how to be assertive in a way that, that uh, would put my foot down and, and, and they wouldn't like mess with me anymore. I couldn't find the words. I always, hmm. you know, I would let the experience happen. And afterward I'd be like, Oh my gosh, I should have said this instead of said that, you know, and I really beat myself up and, because I allow that happen so much that I got to a point where I didn't feel like going to work anymore, where I felt like I wasn't valued. I was always being belittled and, and, and bullied in a mm-hmm. sense at work. And that really broke my spirit down. I started asking God every day, like, God, can you just send me a sign that, you know, I was not meant to be here or, That, you know, that if you can just take away this pain, and I I prayed for that for like so many months. And finally, I realized that, you know what, Mm -hmm. I get to have I can make the choice to leave this, I get to do things that inspires me and and brings me joy. And why am I doing things that I don't like? What would it look like if I did things that I actually like so they could stop complaining about, you know, the suffering. Mm -hmm. And so, I finally quit that job, uh, three years ago and I never looked back, backed because it was such a, it was such a pivotal moment for me to get deeper into my mindfulness yeah. and mindfulness practice because I went on a meditation retreat, uh, one, wow. one week later. And I
0: was, after quitting your job, yeah,
1: after quitting my job, I went to a meditation retreat for five days to really do a lot of healing, uh, because I was so confused about what had just happened. And I made this courageous decision. Now I don't have a job. I don't have a backup plan. I'm like, Oh, shoot, you know, what am I doing? You know, and then also thinking like, Oh, my gosh, I failed my parents, you know, and failing Mm -hmm. people who looked up to me and just feeling a lot of like emotions um, at that time. And so I went to a meditation retreat and I saw this guy just, like, smiling all the time, walking, and his ways of being was so inspiring. I was just like, gosh, what would I do to, like, get to look like that, you know? And one day, I finally caught him um, at, at, like, a meeting, after a meeting, and I just sat down, chatted with him. And he invited me to this like transformational workshop. And in like, this five-minute conversation, I was like, okay, I'm game. I'm going.
0: <laughs> it was so, three, three years ago. Yes,
1: three years ago. Okay. So, <laughs>
0: so I would like to ask you a couple of questions over here. Um, I'm kind of very curious about all this story that you have. And it's so inspiring. It's so empowering to others because there are a lot of people who are in the same phase. They may not be enjoying their job, but they have a lot of fear. You know, they may be going through uncertainty to give up their job and trying new things in life. Yeah. And you were in that job. You you were not happy. You were not enjoying because people were bullying you and you were not living up to your expectations in that. So your ways of being were not aligned to your values. So at what point did you decide you have had enough and you cannot move on with this job or move on with this life anymore?
1: Uh, let's see. There was one particular moment where my boss, like I had written an email and she wanted to review the email before I sent it. And she fixed a small grammar in my email and made a big deal about it. And I was just thinking to myself, like, wow, like, why, why, why do I have to sit here and, and waste my time? on someone who wants to fix this like small grammar and this like huge email. You know, like I just thought to myself, like, what kind of what kind of life do I want to create for myself? And is this the life that I want? And that's something so small and simple like that just made just
0: clicked yeah. for me. It's a trigger and that triggered you for your yeah. lifelong transformation. That's awesome. And and you were, you were you didn't mention that you were not assertive in your job so were you having the same ways of being in your own personal life or were you different in your personal life and you were different in your job
1: yeah definitely i see i see the overflow of it in in my own personal life uh where i had a lot of friends who i always listened and i always was like their friend and you know i was always like rooting for them but mm-hmm. I, I realized there was a quote that said that a friend who always goes along with you is not a true friend but someone who challenges you is your true friend and i wow. realized then that i wasn't a true friend to them because i was just allowing them to be who they are but i didn't make an impact to to change their lives in a way that that could even elevate them you know to their highest potential
0: yeah this is very interesting you know uh, i had i was the opposite in the same situation i was very assertive in my job but i was not Mm. assertive in my personal life i was letting people to jump on me and do whatever they wanted to do but i was totally opposite in my job (laughs) (laughs) yeah and uh, you and then you started your transformation journey three years ago but before the transformation journey, you went on meditation retreat. Mm-hmm. Can you please elaborate more on that meditation retreat? What what you did and what were your breakthroughs?
1: Yeah, so my friend had been inviting me to this uh, monastery in in Escondido uh, near San Diego, and it's called Deer Park. And hmm. she had been inviting me to this place for a while or been mentioning about it. And after I quit my job, I just decided, Hey, why don't I look into this? Finally, you know, and it just turned out they had a five day, uh, meditation retreat and it was, it was fairly inexpensive. Uh, I just, I was like, I was sold because I was like, wow, this is a place where I can grow. I can meet new people, like minded people, and also I could heal because it was up in the mountains. So I went on this meditation retreat and I I had a very somber feeling at the beginning because I was just so bitter about what had just Mm -hmm. happened with my job and then driving there, seeing nature. I was wanting to enjoy nature, but my mind was somewhere else too, you know, about the future, Mm -hmm. about what am I going to do with my life at the same time. And then when when I went to this five-day meditation retreat, there was like for once in my life, there was like singing and music and that was such an interesting, like experience for me. I was like, wow, you can, you, you can sing to um, like singing is a meditation. Like they made songs that uh, mm-hmm. were part of mindfulness. And as they sung the first song, I, it made me so Terry. I cried so hard that first, uh, first day because for once, I allowed music to penetrate me to really hear the words. And the, 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 the song was about arriving home. And I didn't mm-hmm. realize in that moment that I was home, you know, home in my body, home with, with these strangers. I was home mm-hmm. just by me planting my feet on, on the ground. And that was such an emotional experience for me. I had never experienced that. And so yeah the meditation retreat definitely changed my my perception about mindfulness as a as a whole. like till this day, I allowed music into my life. I changed my thought about meditation that meditation had to be only sitting down and being silent, right And then uh-huh. I learned that meditation could be a work meditation where you can do dishes, you can clean and still be mindful. you can go on a walking meditation and be silent. Yeah. you can you know do so many things. Um, that's meditative and being present
0: being present in the moment you you mentioned that walking meditation i do this all (laughs) the time so when i'm walking i'm while walking i'm breathing inhaling and exhaling and chanting these words you know relax relax release release transcendental meditation yeah yeah So, so do you have any specific meditation you do now in your current life yeah
1: so for me right now my current meditation is uh i do like silent meditation and i do um i do also guided meditation when there are days when my mind is like going like everywhere um I do.
0: Then you prefer guided meditation when if your mind is going everywhere. Yes, definitely.
1: Because when I'm hearing the voices or when I'm hearing the guidance, my mind is super concentrated on that. But I do prefer Mm. just silent meditation because I feel like that's the most challenging for me is to just really stay focused and focus on the uh, breath. And I just learned that the simple definition of mindfulness is be here now. be here now yeah isn't that so amazing like so short and i was just like wow after i learned that i just started doing that in my silent meditation it's like be here now and focusing on the breath and that's really allowed me to to meditate longer too
0: yeah in fact i was reading one book yesterday and it said there is nowhere to go what you want is already here be here now
1: (laughs) yeah wow (laughs)
0: So so you, you prefer silent meditation and yeah. when your mind is overwhelming. Yeah. So you prefer guided meditation. Yeah. So how many minutes of meditation do you pursue every day?
1: Yeah. So every day I do ten to fifteen minutes and I would like to do it longer. However, I started getting into this uh this routine called Miracle Morning. I I, I don't uh-huh. know if you heard about it. I
0: have heard of that. I have heard about you've that heard about day. it, right? Yeah.
1: So yeah, I started getting into that routine. So I went from like a 20 to 30 minute meditation to like, I shrunk it down to 10 to 15 minutes, because there were so many things that I wanted to accomplish. So you know, part mm-hmm. of the miracle morning is doing six things, uh, which is, uh, and they call it the savers. And so savers, when you spell it out, it's S A V E R S. And so it means okay. scribing, silence, uh, sorry, scribing, uh, affirmations, visualizations, exercise, reading, and, um, silent. And so, because there's so many of these elements that I wanted to complete, and I also didn't want to, to you <laughs> know, like you, you could literally, so far, I've only managed to do it within an hour and a half to two hours. I cannot do it within any less than that because I'm so intrigued by it that it makes me want to do more and more, and add more minutes. But I realize that it's taking a huge chunk of my morning too. So I okay. can't meditate <laughs> longer,
0: you know? So, so I, I had planned this whole miracle morning at a later point, mm-hmm. but we will go along with this. Now I'm shifting my gears Okay, here, you know? So... Let's talk about Miracle Morning and then I will go back somewhat in the past. Okay. So from present to past, I was creating this story from past to present. So, okay, let's go from present to past. So as part of your Miracle Morning, you are doing meditation for about 10 to 15 minutes. And before that, you used to do it for 20 to 30 minutes. And now this Miracle Morning, you have to do six different things. So you cannot do it for 20 to 30 minutes. And this is part of your morning routine, right? Yeah. So what time do you wake up usually in the morning to do this miracle morning? Yeah,
1: so I re- every day I wake up between 5 to 6 p.m. Sorry, 5 to 6 a.m. So it's
0: just, <laughs> That's great. Yeah, so
1: it just depends on, like, if I had a late night, then I'll move the time. If I had an early night, then I'll move back the time. So I adjust it because, and then I, you know, I'm, I, I don't judge myself for doing that. Because a lot of times people are like, oh, wake up at 5. But I feel like for me, you know, life is always like going up and down, so you never know. So I yeah, I aim at five to six PM six AM.
0: I used to I used to be like that. I used to wake up at five thirty, six AM. Now I wake up at seven AM. Yeah. I do now I think about what what is that one thing I can do in the morning that will give me the most juice in my yeah, whole day. So I meditate for twenty to thirty minutes every day in the morning. Okay. So coming back to that miracle morning. So, what is that first, first, I would say, first element that you start doing in the morning?
1: Yeah. So, in the morning, I started doing journaling every morning because of the uh, the book, The Artist's Way uh, by Julia Cameron. She was talking about how as soon as you wake up, though, that's when your mind is the freshest. And that's when your thoughts are also very fresh, too. So... The first thing you do is always journal every single thought that comes in your mind as soon as you wake up, and so I was doing that for like like a month or so, and mm-hmm. then I started thinking to myself, okay, what would it look like if I just changed it up a little bit, you know? So mm-hmm. I go into waves. I switch it up once in a blue moon. So, but now my current state is is um, is is meditating first, and then. Doing uh, affirmations, visualizations, and then journaling, and then uh, reading and exercising. So
0: okay, mm -hmm. so you meditate for ten to fifteen minutes, Mm -hmm. and it can be silent meditation or it can be guided meditation. I would like to ask you, what advice would you give to someone who is struggling with meditation? A lot of people want to meditate. They want, you know, what advice would you recommend to them? How they can, how how they can they start?
1: My advice is be the observer, you know, allow these thoughts and these, whatever to come into your mind, just allow them, embrace them, because a lot of times people think that meditation is supposed to be a certain way, and that's a lot of judgment. And so Mm -hmm. practice non-judgment, come from a place of I'm observing these thoughts, and when I say that I'm the observer, all of a sudden all these thoughts start disappearing, for some reason they're like oh someone's being really actively like watching us and then the thoughts go away for some reason i find that really comical for me in my head but you yeah. know i think that that really helps me um, just be the observer embrace it
0: yeah and thoughts thoughts come and go we don't have to identify with those thoughts yes and some, some somebody who is a starting new in meditation they can start with one minute or two minutes or three minutes they don't ever start with 10 minutes yeah. personally i started with two minutes mm-hmm. uh, uh, over two years ago mm-hmm. and now i can easily do it for 30 minutes yeah so it's a slow process yeah and uh, meditation will not change your life in one day it's a whole different process yes. it takes time it takes yes. months
1: it's and one sometimes step at a time
0: And we meditate and we think nothing is happening. Nothing will change. Everything is going to be the same. But our mindfulness senses will get better and better. We can deal with our emotions and our reaction time gets better. You know, we can respond to situations in a better way. We can take pauses in a tough situation before we react or respond. Oh, yeah, I agree. So after meditation, you have visualization? Uh,
1: Affirmations?
0: affirmation Mm -hmm. how does your affirmation look like
1: my affirmations so this is what i started to do because i realized that that the affirmations get to be felt in every single cell in me in order for me to speak it to believe it and to internalize it so i started recording myself saying the affirmation and then leaving uh five to ten seconds in between for me to repeat it and so when I would say my affirmation, I will repeat it and I will say it, and, and then I would use a, sl- a, a lower voice at the end to internalize it. Say, for example, one of my affirmation is that I am positive, kind, and respectful to myself. And that's one thing that I've been practicing a lot. And so when I say this, I say it loudly, then in at a medium tone, and then in a, in a low tone, and then I say silently to myself. So when I do it in that awesome. step, it allows me to internalize it.
0: I, I used to do a lot of affirmation a year ago. I used to write a lot. I used to affirm a lot of affirmations. But... I'm not a fan of affirmation these days, but I have very few affirmation in the morning. I I tell myself I'm a self-reliant, compassionate, and energetic. This is I have three words for myself. Mm-hmm. But I think uh, there needs to be some action behind yeah. affirmation. If we keep affirming, I'm positive, I'm this, I'm that. Mm-hmm. But if there is no action behind it, uh, Jim Rohn. <laughs> this is very funny. Jim Rohn mentioned that. Affirmation is an illusion.
1: <laughs> there is no action. <laughs> yeah, you know, I've read so many books and so many articles about how affirmation, you know, there's such a controversy about it because yeah. you know, it's like you know, part of me is like okay, I believe that it works, so therefore it works for me, you know. But if if I start thinking of a new perception about it, then it's going to change too, you know. So I think in my current state right now I am internalizing it. And, and also I don't say a lot of affirmations because I want to keep it short and focus on those, those, those couple yeah. affirmation only. Because if I say too much, then it's just out in this universe and it's just, uh, wasting, wasting space in my mind. Whereas if yeah. I can focus on, you know, three affirmations that I really care about, that I really want to work on and do that for several months. And then when I accomplish that, then I can move on to new affirmations. That's great. So yeah. that's the kind of like way I've worked it out. But yeah, I hear what you're saying about, yeah, sometimes affirmation could be an illusion.
0: Yeah. So do you think affirmation can really make some difference in our life?
1: I think, I believe that affirmations will make a difference. Uh, only yeah. if that person internalizes it. And if every single cell in that bo- in their body truly feels it. If you yeah. don't feel it and you can't make a connection to it, it's not going to work out. It's not going to happen.
0: Yeah. And I think it's it can be related to our internal self-talk. If Because we are changing our internal self-story, that we are positive, we are energetic, we are compassionate, or we are this and we are that. We are moving from negativity to positivity. So it's inner game. We are changing our inner game by allowing positive and kind words to ourselves
1: oh yeah to completely i agree like changing the subconscious too yes
0: changing subconscious yeah. mind yeah so it's, if if our listeners they can start with maybe two or three words of affirmation in the morning or any time in the day yeah it will make some difference but you got to believe it yeah. because when you believe it you see it this is quote from None other than Wayne Dyer. When you believe it, you see it.
1: <laughs> yes.
0: Yeah. So after your after uh, affirmation, what, what do you have? And so the after
1: after affirmations is visualization. Yeah.
0: Can you elaborate yeah. on? Oh, i yeah. Definitely so, willing to learn yeah, from you. Yeah,
1: definitely. Visualization is is the one that I struggle the most with too, uh, I, because because it changes all the time for me. And so (laughs) it's it just it's not consistent and and I've thought about okay what what would it look like if I wrote down my visualization and then I recorded myself saying the visualization so then I can walk myself through it Mm -hmm. and and it it worked to a certain extent but now I realize like I just I started cutting out the story and the dreams and all that stuff and I started just focusing on today you know what what am i wanting to accomplish today how will i do that walking myself through the day and getting all my tasks completed and what kind of ways of being will i be experiencing like setting the intention for the day and that really supports me so i use visualization in that sense
0: and how long is that visualization process
1: yeah so that visualization process is five can range from five to ten minutes i change it up
0: So about 10 minutes of meditation, five minutes of affirmation, and then five to 10 minutes of visualization. Okay. And then you have journaling? Mm -hmm. Journaling. So, yeah. So journaling differs from person to person. Yeah. And I'm interested to know what do you write in that for me? I just write down everything, all those doubts, insecurities, all those self-comparison that I'm not good enough, I'm not worthy enough. You know, I write down everything mm-hmm. and then I really feel so lightweighted. And okay, I can think about it now. I can literally think clearly now. It's on my paper. Nothing is in my head. Yeah. Sometimes I can spend 30 minutes on that, you know? Yeah. So what does your journaling look like?
1: My, my journaling, uh, what it looks like is... I, I used to just write down everything that was in my mind and my thoughts and every single word, literally everything that mm-hmm. I'm thinking, I would just put it down, even if it doesn't even make sense with the previous mm-hmm. sentence, you mm-hmm. know, I just write it down. Um, but now I I've read some other, like, oh, I was listening to a podcast and he was, there was this guy who was saying, you know, he does intentional journal writing too. So now I've broken it up where Half of my time will be focused on just writing whatever my thoughts are. And then the other half of my time is focused on intentional journal writing. So Mm. asking myself questions, you know, like, uh, what are 10 things that I'm grateful for today? Or uh, questions like, how do I define self-love? Or what am I resisting? Or what comfort zones am I not letting go of? And just really exploring those pieces a little deeper.
0: Yeah, this is, this is so interesting because I have been doing similar thing, but I did not know the distinction. So now you are saying intentional journaling and free flow. Mm-hmm. In free flow journaling, you can write whatever is there in your mind. Yeah. With intentional journaling, you are asking yourself good questions because when you ask, something good from your mind your mind will come up with an answer yes. for instance i asked myself i did not know that this is intentional journaling i asked myself okay nishan i'm thinking too much i'm i'm making it over complicated what would it look like if this podcasting is easier what would it look like if this networking is simpler you know yeah <laughs> asking simple you know yeah. Yeah, i love it this is intentional journaling yeah it's good and do you do it for 10 minutes
1: Oh, this one, I spend the most time on this. I just love journaling. I could journal like literally for a long, long time, but because I'm trying to keep it within two hours, you know, I journal at least 20 minutes. I have been, I've been going to 30 minutes, but I'm really trying to like pull it back a little bit. It's just, I just love it so much. So 20 so,
0: minutes. So your morning routine consists of two hours yeah and it can be scary for a lot of people this is it, scary it, to me it, exactly
1: yeah. and it's like, that's why i i wake up so early so that way i can manage it you know from five seven or six to eight you know like really managing those two hours so so intentionally
0: yeah and 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 the, the we we get to understand over here that we do not have to do these things for two hours every day it is good if we can manage time but maybe your somebody's schedule doesn't allow if if you can pick one thing it could be journaling meditation reading exercise any one thing that you can do at least for five minutes or 10 minutes it will make a lot of difference in your day-to-day emotional life
1: yes i agree so yes definitely when when time calls for it Definitely, you can do all of these in like six minutes, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Um, but yeah, definitely for me, I I feel like there's a lot more of it if I spend at least an hour and a half to two hours in the morning on myself. Yeah. But yes, like you said, if you don't have time, you don't have to do all of these. You can do yes. one or two.
0: So Jennifer, I want to ask you this. If you do not have time and you want to pick one thing from these six components, what would you, what would that be one thing? for you
1: my one thing would be would be journaling Hmm. journaling journaling because when i just let all my thoughts and everything all on paper i can leave with like a sound clear mind and in a way it serves as meditation in a way it serves as like I guess exercise for the brain um, gives me energy um, Mm -hmm. and it affirms things for me or it also helps me visualize. So I feel like journaling encompasses like everything.
0: Hmm. Interesting. And I, I love this fact that you have this big block of time in the morning where you can do most of the things. And I used to do all these things in the morning, but now it's kind of scattered. I may, I can do these things at any point of time but i prefer doing meditation one thing in the morning whatever is going on in my life if i meditate i feel so great otherwise you know it takes me time to get back to my emotions positive emotions yeah so we can we can journal at any point in our day we can read any point we can visualize at any point it doesn't have to be in the morning but having some practices in the morning is always great it will make huge difference
1: oh yeah i agree
0: Yep. but but and if you if
1: you have if you ask me i would do all of these in yeah. six minutes
0: <laughs> six, yeah. yeah
1: i would do all of them i wouldn't just pick one but i would do all six
0: <laughs> yeah okay and then you move on to reading mm-hmm. so what kind of reading do oh, you prefer gosh,
1: i do i do a lot of like self-development books so that's and And before it was like mindfulness and meditation, but now it's more about developing my mindset. sometimes it has business component components to it mm-hmm. so i listen I listen to a lot of podcasts and read a lot of books, so a lot of times they recommend a lot of books and other podcasts too. so mm-hmm. you know from <laughs> there, I just like I create this huge like reading list, and I'm just slowly checking it off.
0: That's great. Because reading can be tough. Nonfiction reading can be tough for a lot of people. And yeah. it was tough for me two years ago. And when I started getting into that, life started changing at all. Yeah. So what what book would you recommend to somebody who is new into this personal development? And And I want to make this point here. Personal development is not something to fix yourself. You are wholehearted. It's it's about raising your consciousness and awareness. It's nothing to do with fixing yourself.
1: Yeah. 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 Oh gosh, so, uh, so many books. I don't even know where to start. Let's see. Uh <laughs> please. <laughs> oh gosh, let's see. Man, so many books. Okay, I, I feel like if someone's really just starting out and and really want to, uh, just have like a system. I would say The Miracle Morning by Hal Elrod. Like, honestly, I think that book is good for anyone and anywhere in their life. It could be someone who's a beginner, someone who's, uh, been practicing mindfulness for a long time, you know? Uh, mm-hmm. I think that could really, really support them. Um, but I would say my, my, my next book, is you know The Gifts of Imperfections by Brene Brown.
0: Wow, I love it. Yeah, that, <laughs> love that
1: that book really, really resonated with me. Like I felt like it healed my soul in and out, you know. Um oh. but yeah, I would say that book too. Those are good beginner yeah, books.
0: Gifts, yeah. This is about embracing your imperfection. You yes. are whatever you have. And I struggle with a lot of imperfection in my life, but after reading so many books, I can say that. I can embrace my imperfection. (laughs) I do not want to be perfect. I'm okay with what I have. But if there is a possibility to improve it, to polish it, yes. Why not? Yeah, great. So Morning Miracles and the Gifts of Imperfection. Great. And so which book would you like to gift the most? Would you pick one of these two books or is there any other book you would like to gift the most?
1: Uh, let's see. Yeah, I I would say I would probably give those two books out the most because a mm-hmm. lot of my friends and folks that I like am around, like they're new to meditation mindfulness. And I feel like this would be a good book. But if if, yeah. if it's someone who's been in the work for a long time and like understands the language and like all this stuff. I would, I would recommend, you know, Eckhart Tolle, like the Power of Now, or mm-hmm. um, let's see, uh, this other book. I'm trying to think about it. Um, like uh, the Biology of Belief by Bruce Lipton, or Becoming Supernatural mm-hmm. by Doctor Joe Dispenza. Like, and also I love
0: Doctor Dispenza, right?
1: And then also, let's see, the other book. Uh, oh gosh, The Untethered Soul by Michael Singer. Like, oh. I, I think those books would be really good for people who have been in the work for a long time. Like, these books are so deep. And sometimes I find myself, like, going back and reading it again and reading it again until I get the sentence correct, you know? But yeah. it's, it's what I love. It's a challenge. But I, I that's what I love about the books because it's so deep.
0: Yeah, that's great. And Jennifer over here, I would like to change my gears. So I would like to connect to your coaching style. So you have been a leadership and mindset coach. So what kind of coaching, what kind of mindset coaching? Because nowadays everybody is mindset coach. Mm-hmm. So what kind of, of mindset coach are you and what's your coaching style look like?
1: Yeah, so you know, my my vision for for a lot of things in my life is to truly uh, create authentic spaces where folks can be their true authentic self. Um, did I say that right? Create safe spaces. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah. And so, yeah. and and I and I, my coaching style is is definitely about accountability, mm-hmm. about. Digging deep, uh, peeling the layers and really getting down to like the subconscious. Uh, because when we get down to the subconscious level and really creating habits and routines and uh, to, to support the subconscious to create a whole new uh, neural path. Um, mm-hmm. I believe that is like the door to unlimited possibilities. And so I believe that even in business and love and relationship, the common thing that I found in most people is just the the automatic ways of being that folks are unwilling Mm. to let go of. And that's where I focus a lot of my coaching on is, is looking at those habits.
0: Yes. And 95%, I don't remember where I did read that, 95% of our behaviors and actions are automatic and they are being driven from our subconscious. So if we can learn and practice to change our subconscious for good, it can do wonders. It can create miracles. Yes. Yep. So when you get a new client and if they're not sure what, what change they want to have in their life, how would you navigate that client? What specific questions would you ask them?
1: Yeah, so usually when a client doesn't know where to start, uh, I feel like, you know, every time someone seeks out for like, uh, support, uh, for coaching, I-, I feel like they always have something but I do come across some people who say they don't know and don't know. But so what I would ask mm-hmm. is usually I have uh, six areas of 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 their lives that I would um, start going through. Uh, which is, you know, finances. Which is relationships with people. Which is recreation, um, health. Um, you know, I go through those those elements. And, and what and is
0: what is what is fifth and sixth? If you don't mind explaining.
1: Um, it's uh, what is it? spiritual spirituality recreation. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. I don't know which one I'm missing. Let's. I cannot remember it for the life of me. I don't know if. <laughs> oh, you know what? I think I separate um, family from relationships. Okay. Yeah, oh, so like, interesting. like personal relationships, yeah, because I feel like those two, they just operate in, in such different ways that it doesn't, it doesn't really intermix. I feel like a lot of people, mm. when they focus on, even if family life is working, you know, relationship with a, a personal significant other um, or f- friends uh, isn't it's working. Different. Yeah, it's so different.
0: Yeah so so this is your coaching style and uh, this is how if somebody is not sure how they can move and this is how based on these six areas then you start understanding them and start coaching them and start showing them the direction eventually they have to do the work but you can be a support or accountability partner and show them the path so what difference do you think is there between therapy and coaching
1: so the difference between therapy and coaching for me is for therapy. I feel like there is like a set guideline that, um, that a lot of therapists and counselors uh, get to abide by. And a lot of it is uh, done, you know, mostly by, you know, the state or the government. And so I feel like for therapy, it's, it's restricted in a sense. Mm -hmm. And I feel like for coaching, we can go anywhere and everywhere.
0: Hmm. And uh-huh. uh, do you think coaching is for everybody, and therapy is not for everybody? Because some people may may really need therapy process. Mm-hmm. Because coaching can be fast forward, but therapy is a slow process. Therapy and it's counseling is a slow process.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, it's, some people may want to move it forward. Some people may want to go slower. Yeah. What do you think?
1: Yeah, I, I totally agree. You know, it just depends on the person, you know, where they're at in their lives. If they feel like there is something uh, chemically, like, imbalanced, you know, in their mind, and they really need the additional support of therapy and medicine, then I feel like that is a good route for them. Uh, But if they feel like they would like an extra push in their life, uh, a new perspective, um, doing mm-hmm. things that are out of like, you know, out of the norm and, and, and getting, gaining new perspective in that way. I think that's a good route for them.
0: Yeah. And when I was doing research in your biography, I found that you, you, you received therapy 10 years ago. Is that correct?
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Can you please elaborate more on that therapy process yes. 10 years ago?
1: Yeah. So 10 years ago, I I was uh definitely going through a lot of tough times because you know, I'm under in undergraduate, like I just felt like such an imposter. Like I felt like I didn't belong there. You know, I was I was a great student in high school and then I went to college and then I found out, you know, all of these these students that I'm competing against, they had parents who, you know, bought them tutoring sessions and all these things. And I started mm-hmm. realizing like, oh my gosh, maybe I don't belong here and I started doubting myself a lot. And so that's why I started going to therapy to really boost my, my spirit and my, my energy. And, um, back then, you know, I totally had a different mindset and I, I, I totally stigmatized the whole process. And I, I only went to two sessions and then I just stopped because I just started Hmm. feeling embarrassed about it and then i was in the
0: therapy mm -hmm. in the therapy process in the
1: therapy process i just started feeling embarrassed about it i was like oh because it's so funny because i was like i know everything that i know how to solve my problem and i feel like i was going to a place where i was venting and then you know my problems i could solve them myself you know and i felt like it wasn't useful for me and i was like oh well maybe it's more for people who have deeper ish issues you know and mm-hmm. it wasn't a good fit for me but i also didn't know that i had the option of switching counselors too if it wasn't effective you know and so mm. in a way i just thought okay maybe it wasn't for me maybe it's for people who have deeper issues than i have and so i just decided not to go anymore and I learned about the mindfulness practice in this session too, but I, I kept it in the back of my mind. I've done research on it. I've looked at it. And I'm like, okay, one day I'm going to practice meditation. One day I'm going to do all these things. And one day turned into like, you know, seven years, you know, and, and then I finally got into graduate school. And that's when I took it much more serious. I was like, okay, you know what? I'm going to be in graduate school. I'm going to be in under a lot more stress. So why don't I utilize the free services, you know, while I'm here. And so, I went and did that and, and uh, had my first session and, and had a perfect match with a counselor who dealt with a lot of, like, generational trauma, uh, first-generation college students, uh, a lot of, like, people, co- people of color. Uh, and how, are, how
0: are... How old were you at that time when you, when you, when you got another Uh counselor? I was
1: 2012. So that was, okay. Oh, sorry. Eight years ago. Yeah. So it was eight years ago, but the uh, other experience was like, yeah, 10 years ago. Okay. Yeah. So yeah, when I got into grad school, that's when I um, got to experience.
0: So therapy can definitely help. And it is mandatory for a lot of people who have deeper issues. They want to talk about their feelings or maybe, you know, sometimes we have resistance mm-hmm. inside us and we do not want to open up. Maybe, do you think you had resistance oh, 10 yeah. years ago? Oh, yeah, definitely.
1: That... I had resistance. I had judgment. I had all sorts of thoughts in my head. And that's why I was like, this is not for me, you know? Yeah,
0: because this the reason I'm asking is because somebody who is receiving therapy and they do not have to leave therapy because it can do wonders mm-hmm. if you are not finding the things that you want you may try another therapist another counselors but it will do a lot of things so please yeah. stick with that try different things try different approaches do not give up on that if there is a resistance in fact regarding resistance i was listening to some podcasts from aubrey marcus and he was saying resistance if there is some resistance it means we can do we can go further in our life resistance can be good it's not a negative thing we can utilize it for our good things in life the more we resist we can go further in our life but we have to channelize it in positive ways
1: yeah
0: yep great so therapy yeah Is great and that's how you got into mindfulness practices yes
1: yes i definitely like i said you know th- therapy is it, it could be for anyone if you make it to be you know your choice you know uh, it yeah. just it just didn't work out for me
0: yeah and uh, I want to ask you over here that what has been your favorite failure that you have learned the most from and that changed the course of your direction? Any favorite failure favorite
1: favorite failure my favorite failure would definitely. I would still say that the my experience with that that job that I had 3 years ago I think that was in a way good for me um mm-hmm. I felt like I was like always winning at life and going at every you know going doing everything 100% and then when I got into that position I just I just didn't feel like it was a yeah. good fit for me and even though I felt like a failure at the time it uh, it definitely brought to surface a lot of deeper issues that I had that I uh, had to deal with that I got to deal with it and and now I feel like that's the silver lining of that failure is growth is improving it's enhancing and reaching my potential.
0: Yeah, that's, that's great because we all go through failures in life. And if we are not failing in life, it means we are not trying hard enough. So would you have some positive motivational words for people who are not feeling motivated by their failures? They are feeling they are not good enough. What what would you advise somebody who is failing a lot and they are not able to move forward?
1: Hmm. someone who's failing a lot and is not able to move on with their life or yeah. feels like that. Yeah. Um,
0: yeah.
1: I would say be curious. Be curious about many things. Write it all down and then get yourself into doing those things because I feel like when we feel like there's no purpose, know one purpose or no one why it, it can get really really confusing to really find that one thing you know and I feel like when you're curious you explore and you're creative like say for example yeah. you know if I'm curious about sewing or fashion or whatever it is just get into it and see if that sparks any joy sparks any inspiration and <laughs> Who knows, that might become my life career, you know, and so I would say be curious at all times and allow that to, to guide you.
0: Yeah. Be curious and having some mindfulness practices every day so that you can think about it. Yeah. Man, failure is okay and doing things about it makes a difference. Yeah. Great Jennifer. So b- I want to ask you my last question over here that what is the impact you want to have on this world?
1: The the impact that I want to have for this world is inspiring inspiring people to be great leaders. I feel like you know being being a leader or being a leader is Part of it is just inspiring others to reach their highest potential and to allow them to flourish in their dreams and their creativity, and, um, and that's what I want to do. Whether it's in education, whether it's through you know health education, uh, whether it's through coaching, I truly want to inspire the best out of everyone.
0: This is amazing. Well, Jennifer, thank you so much for your time and thank you again for being on the show. Thank
1: you so much Nishant for having me really appreciate it. I had a great time.
0: To everybody out there, thank you for listening and you can subscribe to my show, the Nishant Garg show to get updates on future guests. So thank you again. and